Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. We just got done having fun with technology with our friend Kerr Nusi. And uh, it was all behind the scenes stuff. So that's why we're laughing. Great to have her with us. Going to talk a little bit about the UK. Been a while since we've had you. How are you, ma'am? Great to have you back. Good. In a different country this time. So it's feeling like I'm talking about UK policy in the United Kingdom versus the US for once. Yeah, you're hard to track down because you're one of the world traveler folks. But that's good because we like the perspective on it. Let's start right there. Uh, we're going to be working off your piece, The New Statesman. We're going to talk a little bit about freedom of speech, restrictions, online restrictions of things, especially with technology. But perspective is a big deal here because, especially the American audience, we have a very innate sense of freedom of speech because of the way our system of government, because of the Constitution, because of the way we grow up with those freedoms. That's not the same everywhere else, though, is it? No, I think the biggest difference when it comes to free speech is America has the First Amendment and can look at the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights as kind of the starting point for civil liberties. Whereas in different countries, especially in the UK, it's just a completely different legislative system and a completely different way of talking about free expression. Yeah. And this kind of goes to a lot of things is because Right now in the UK, there's a lot of turmoil, political turmoil, economic turmoil. We just went through the things with the passing of the Queen. You know, when I do my spiel for somebody like you on this program, I tell you, hey, this is we have a little different rules here in America than we do in the UK. There's things you can say. There's things you can't say. There's things I can say doing UK media hits that I can't say in America. When I go to UK, uh, they talk a lot about li- liable laws. Like there's cert- you can't talk about people a certain way on UK media that I can say in America. They can cuss. We're not supposed to be saying naughty words on that. It's a very important distinction when we get into rights, though, understanding that when you go over there or when you're over there and come back over here, it's really different. And the laws are reflecting that as well. Yeah, I think the way that we talk about free expression in the United States, we've got how do we moderate content online? How do we talk about speech and protest culture and the ability to say things in public? And then when you talk about the United Kingdom, just a completely different legislative structure. So where I come from in the world of tech policy, America, when you talk about what you can say or moderate online, you're talking about Section 230. But in the United Kingdom, they don't really have the equivalent of Section 230 and are currently trying to create what they think is a world-leading online safety law, the online safety bill. Does it function the same way as you'd expect speech regulation to function if you were an American? I don't think so. I think it's a completely different 
beast that focuses a lot more on regulating types of content and deciding what types of content should or should not be online um, versus a more free speech focused perspective that would be grounded in the First Amendment or grounded in a free market, if that makes sense. No, it does. Kara Nuzzi joining us. She's Senior Policy Analysis at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation Center for Data Innovation. Got to get you a nickname or an acronym in there somewhere. That's a lot. Um, let's go to what you said in this piece, though. One of the things that we get into with these, and you kind of lead off with it, people want to talk about what's legal. People want to talk about what's harmful. People want to talk about what should be legal and harmful, what should be illegal because it's harmful. That's kind of the nut of a lot of this. It's how do you do speech? What do you do with it? You lead off with it. So why did you use that as an entry point to talk about this particular piece of legislation? I think it's a great way to talk about the piece of legislation because at, at its core, the online safety bill is a set of legal obligations proposed um, on online services to moderate various forms of content. Now that's not just what is illegal online and what is illegal offline. It is legal and illegal content on user to user and search services. So when I say user to user, it's like you and me talking to each other online um, at its core and then search services being the classic search engines. How do I Google something or Bing something to figure out what's going on? It moderates through types of content, illegal content, not necessarily meaning like classic criminal offenses. Um, it's supposed to be priority illegal content and content defined within the bill as new criminal offenses on top of already illegal offenses. And then we've got what is classified as legal but harmful content. Some people distinguish this as content harmful to children. I tend to group this with the content harmful to adults also covered within the online safety bill. It is content that presents a material risk of significant harm to an appreciable number of children or adults in the United Kingdom, which if that sounds like a mouthful, it is, um, but it is also a subjective mouthful of like what services must do for a list of content that has not been clearly defined yet. <laughs> um, and maybe in a lot of aspects should not necessarily be what's getting regulated. Kernuthi joining us. You point out that this is a very expansive proposal. They're not just talking, people start talking about content. They're thinking, you know, YouTube, they're thinking Twitter, Facebook, things like this. This goes way past this. This goes into peer to peer stuff. This goes into WhatsApp, Signal, iMessaging. These are things that have end to end encryption things. They're supposed to have, they're actually promoted as having privacy and security to them. And this is what they want to get into is the content required in that. Now, to the average person, those are paramount to private individual conversations. 
this is where this starts getting really sticky because yes, technically it's content on a platform that you agreed to use on the governments are looking at trying to regulate that and people are going, wait a minute, this is my personal free speech. This is the swamp of this sort of thing. This is where it gets really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this bill is, as you mentioned, incredibly expansive. When you think about online content moderation or like online regulation of free speech, I think the classic things that pop up, at least in my head, are social media. So like, where do I post online to my friends and my followers what I'm doing or what my dog's been doing that day? But the online safety bill goes beyond that. It is covering user-to-user services that include traditional social media, traditional forums, but also something that I find incredibly worrying that's being covered over-the-top messaging platforms. So these are platforms that don't necessarily need your phone number to work, but work over the internet to send messages. Um, It's your classic Signal, WhatsApp, those messengers that you download onto your phone after you've gotten your smartphone to talk to your friends. Um, A lot of these platforms use end-to-end encryption to make sure that only the users who are communicating with each other can read the contents. So if I was to message you, only I and you could read the content, not the service, not some random person on the internet. Maybe somebody looking over our shoulder could read it, but like that would be incredibly unlikely. And also I'd be worried if our friends were doing that. Um, But covering that sort of content increases the privacy risks and increases privacy vulnerabilities in the space because it's essentially not compelling, but de facto compelling, like incentivizing online services to weaken their protections and to remove the privacy safeguards we've come to expect on these services because it needs to now follow this incredibly expansive platform regulation regime. That's called the online safety bill. Yeah, Kern Nuthi joining us. I'm noticing a pattern here, whether it's this online safety bill in the UK, uh, some of the regulatory measures in the US, the Supreme Court's getting ready to look at the 230 in, in a very, people are losing their minds, but it's a very narrow scope involving terrorism overseas. So I think that'll be a little more narrow, but there's going to be more cases behind that. I'm noticing a trend here. Tell me if I'm wrong. When it comes to the, those content, let's just take something like a WhatsApp or something like that, end-to-end decryption, private messages, because that feels more personal to people. When it comes to that, though, these bills, you know, we know these companies are content companies. The old saying, if it's free, you're the product, right? So these these are information companies. They scan this stuff for the information. They want your personal information to sell off to other people. They want those demographic numbers. However, when it comes to this legislation, they always seem to want to lean towards putting the burden, and these are legal standards, so let's just use a legal term. They seem to want to put the burden on the individual users instead of putting some regulation on the companies that are using these for data collections. To me, it would seem like better legislation would be the company into this instead of punishing and going after the individual rights or the, of the users. That looks like a trend, so that looks like that's purposeful to me. Do you see it differently? I think it's a very hard square to circle. <laughs> um, I think the online safety bill really does focus on getting online services to regulate the way that parliament and the coalition in power at that moment 
think is best, be that with regards to free expression or with that reg with regards to privacy. But I think at the end of the day, regulation like this is going to make users lose. If the bill passes as is, we're going to face it in the UK and probably extraterritorially in the US and internationally, incredible changes in what we can and can't say online and also incredible changes in what services are allowed where. Um, especially with regards to encryption, if the bill passes and it covers these platforms, we've already seen services say, well, this is too much. Let's just think about hypothetically refusing to listen to the mandates. Um, well, Cathcart of WhatsApp came out publicly saying that WhatsApp's got an amazing track record balancing online safety and public desire. So he wants to make sure that his company and what he is head of does not kowtow to the mandates within the online safety bill. That to me sounds like if services are forced to give up these security protections, they might just give up the United Kingdom, which at the end of the day might not hurt a very large business, but will hurt users within the UK more. Yeah, Karnuthi joining us. You just touched on it. I think an important piece of this is understanding the UK's role in the world with things like this. Outside of the United States, this is the English-speaking center of business, of commerce. There's a lot going on. Laws in the UK have far-reaching effects because London is a financial center. We saw it with the Russian regulations was a good example. Um, <laughs> how many of the Russian oligarchs that were getting sanctioned, how many of them have places and businesses in England? All of a sudden, you know, everything from penthouses to soccer teams to almost all of Belgrave Square. You know, there, the laws in the UK are wide-ranging. Speak on that because if you don't have a freedom of speech, if you don't have tech protections in one of the financial hubs of the world, and also where a lot of dissidents from foreign countries flee to, they go to the UK, a lot of them do, this could have some far-ranging implications far beyond just free speech online. This has political ramifications. It would have financial ramifications. The UK is a world leader on this, and I think that's a perspective they need to keep in mind because, like you said, if these companies start giving up the UK, that's going to have a lot of ripple effect. I think that's exactly a scary part of the bill. Um, the bill's regulating services that have a significant number of UK users and or treat the UK as a significant target market for their service. I can't think of an online service that wouldn't opt in to one of their when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply at least as like part of their long-term strategy goal like say it's an american company that focuses only in america if the goal is to go internationally the uk is always going to be a natural market to add um which means this bill will have extra territorial impact um kind of the same way that we see the content moderation laws like section 230 get mentioned in international news we're going to see the online safety bill get mentioned in international news because it's hard to regulate the internet as just a country. Um, 
I'm talking to you from the UK and you're talking to me from the US, international content right there. What I say on Twitter will go far past the boundaries of the country I currently live in. Um, and that is just the nature of the internet. It was designed to be international. So any regulation in this space is going to have ramifications. So if something's not allowed in one country because it's on a list of content that needs to be moderated, it might be easier if that just slowly becomes the norm for everyone. That's why it's incredibly important for online services and for governments to focus on free expression and privacy as things to think about and consider when they're making regulations. I'm not going to say that it's possible to protect both. There's significant trade-offs between online safety and civil liberties. You can have free expression and you can have privacy, but you have to choose what you're going to protect when it comes to regulation. And undermining free expression and compromising user privacy the way that the online safety bill does, I don't think there's a win in there right now. And that's why it needs to be amended. Yeah, and you touch on it, uh, Karen Ruthie joining us. Let's just take a real world example here. Uh, we're getting ready to have a court case. The Supreme Court's going to take up a terrorism case with uh, Section 230. There's built in things to this bill. Let's just use the example. If you have a country like Iran where there's known terrorist activities, well, we need to be able to read the encrypted messages to see if there's terrorist activities. Well, there's also things like the LGBT community where that can get you killed if that information gets out. That's where this stuff gets really hard because it's like, okay, people that are protecting privacy isn't just a buzzword. It's something that's saving their life, that's keeping them alive. That's, you know, political dissidents, the same thing. Countries where the LGBT community is outlawed. Uh, you pick anything you want, dissent in Russia, dissent in Ukraine, you know, pick whatever you want. The real world ramifications of this stuff, those are also going to be the same places where they're going to argue things like, well, we need to look for terrorism. We need to look for criminality. You said it a minute ago. I don't know how you square that circle. I really don't know how you square that one because there's no way that you're getting in that water without getting the clean and the dirty at the same time. I mean, that's why anonymity is. It's a hard topic to talk about, but it's so important. Arab Spring, Black Lives Matter, dissidents, human rights activists, abuse survivors, LGBT youth who don't feel comfortable um, coming out yet. These are, these are diverse communities that rely on platforms that use privacy safeguards like end-to-end encryption to keep their content to themselves. Opening those spaces up to now new regulation, which would potentially introduce weaknesses, puts those communities at risk. And that is a situation nobody who relies on anonymity should be put in. Um, it's maybe on the extreme end of examples in the sense of like threats of persecution and violence being critical to anonymity, sure. That's why including private communications in the scope of the online safety bill is just so damaging. It's real world harm and real world issues that are a matter of safety. Um, and choosing to protect people and create online safety in one regard while also opening up this chasm of privacy issues is not a solution.
here in Earthy joining us. Let's zoom back out for a second. Just the overall state of things like rights and free speech in the UK right now. Of course, there's the possibly apocryphal famous quote of, you know, if you're in England, you're free. You can be a villain in England, but you can't be a slave. This kind of legislation worries people because they're worried about if your private communications are taken away, if your internet, which is a huge freedom that's new to the world and new to most people, but now we have generations of people that are used to it. If that freedom of information and knowledge starts getting taken away, they're going to start feeling more slave than just a villain with this kind of legislation. What's the overall status of rights and free speech and the information age in the UK today as it currently stands? It can be really interesting um, in the sense of what I remember um, the Euro Cup, there was all of that hate getting propped out on Twitter. Um, but then a few days later, people were arrested for their tweets. Um, I remember when I was growing up, there was the news headline of the dog um, whose owner got arrested for making his dog promote incredibly horrible anti-Semitic things. Social media and conversation on social media has offline impact in the UK. 11 people were arrested after the Euros last year for suspe being suspected of sending messages on social media. The messages on social media were disgusting. Like no one should be as hateful as the hate getting spewed during the Euro Cups. But also people got arrested for what they said online in a way that I as an American can't think of a direct parallel of a sporting event leading to arrests because of social media speech. Yeah, I've I've talked about it before because obviously America has its problems with things like race and hatred and prejudice and bigotry and these things. But then it also sounds like we don't have to have sports events in front of empty stadiums over it either, which happens frequently in Europe. I mean, I've I've seen that in person living over there before. I look, I I could get on my high horse here. I don't know how you solve some of these problems. I do know this part of it though. I know that there's no version of this where everybody's solution isn't going to be the government has to use a lot of power to fix these problems. That's that's how all these are going to end. And my fear is anytime you go to give the government power to fix a problem, that's when abuses start, that's when overreach starts, and that's where the accountability stops. Is that a legit fear with this legislation as you've laid out? I think this legislation is incredibly worrying for the amount of power it gives government officials. It has a the online safety bill gives, in my opinion, far too much discretion and far too much power to the Secretary of State for digital culture, media, and sport. Secretary of State being the MP in charge of digital culture, media, and sport. They and the regulatory agency charged by the online safety bill, Ofcom, um, which is, I think, an acronym for the Office of Communications, but is really like the telecom and media regulator. Those two government institutions, one being a person and one being an agency, have the ability to change the rules. They have the ability to look at the legislation and then define what is legal but harmful and define what is illegal. The Secretary of State specifically has the ability to essentially 
redefine what specific content the online safety bill's duties of care. So like what content is supposed to be removed or moderated or proactively explained in terms and conditions, essentially changing the standards of what can and can't be allowed online or must be specified in terms of conditions based off of what I consider a political appointee. Like the Secretary of State for DCMS is a political appointee by who is chosen from a pool of members of parliament and changes based off of who's the prime minister. So that means that a political party can, and a political party's desires can essentially politicize what is content that can be moderated. And I don't see anything more terrifying than politicizing what we're allowed to say online. Um, conservative party leadership might have one opinion, then, well, like another, conservative party leadership. Liz Truss's administration might have a different view than Boris Johnson's, and they will definitely have a different view than Labour Party leadership or Liberal Democrats party leadership. Letting one person and one regulatory agency change the game whenever the political tides shift is inconsistent and also just means that free speech becomes whatever a political party wants, which doesn't sound very free. No, it's not. And just to reiterate for the American audience, UK's got a parliamentary system. So with the exception of some, you know, limited judicial reviews on certain things, whatever parliament says pretty much goes legally over there. And that's your concern because the American audience is sitting there like, what's she talking about? You have this, this, and that. You don't have a written constitution in the UK. You have whatever parliament says with very few exceptions goes. And as we see right now, parliament has, you know, maybe some changeover coming it is worrying and that's a piece that the american audience needs to understand about the uk and this bill in particular and how it works over there right yeah if it changes if the system changes based off of political tides based off of what the secretary of state changes within different lists of content that needs to be moderated removed or specified in terms and conditions online services can very easily try to find a way to integrate those product changes for their global user base. Essentially saying it costs too much to splinter the internet and moderate one way in the United Kingdom and moderate one way elsewhere. Maybe we should subject non-United Kingdom internet users to similar moderation constraints. That means that the political leadership of the United Kingdom, if they choose to redefine what is legal but harmful content or choose to redefine the definitions at play in the online safety bill are opening up a global user base of online services to reinterpreted content moderation practices. My brain immediately goes to an article where a Labour member of parliament came out saying that incels and climate deniers should be included in extremist content. That is a, a change that has already been specified by a member of parliament as wanting to be added into the system after the online safety bill. If that's going to happen under labor leadership, then conservative leadership can have a different story next time around. So there will be stark changes between political appointments in a way that is frankly ill-advised for a level of stability. Concerning stuff. Tough topic. Karanuthi does a great job explaining it to us. Um, we'll have you back again. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it was lovely to talk to you again.
appreciate you breaking this down for us until we get you back on herd tell again uh and we're going to link to this piece make sure you read the whole thing for yourself in the meantime let folks know where they can follow you keep up with what you got going on whether you're there here or yonder because you move all over the place every time i talk to you you're on a different continent uh let folks know how they can keep up with you until we talk to you again my friend yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Kirthi Nuthi, or you can follow my amazing team's work at datainnovation.org. I cover some of this stuff, but we have amazing work on artificial intelligence, data divide, and all of these other issues of facing technology and future technology. Yep, we'll, uh, we'll make sure to keep up with that. We're going to have you back on because these issues are just going to get more complicated and louder. They're not going anywhere, Kirthi. Thank you so much for the time. And if you're looking for your glasses, they're just right there on top of your head. <laughs> uh, have a great day. Appreciate the time. We'll talk again real soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, ma'am.